it's easy to take it for granted. It's easy to forget how life-changing the news of Jesus' resurrection truly is. It's easy to think it's just another holiday. Put some traditions in, slap some eggs on it, a few chicks, call it a holiday. But the truth rings out. He is risen indeed. And today I want to talk about the hope of Easter. We spent Good Friday looking at Psalm 22. We're going to pick up there as well and look at the hope that the resurrection gives us. There's a story in Greek mythology about a group of sisters that are condemned to spend eternity trying to fill up a bucket or jar or something. And they ha- each one of them have these individual jars and they have to dip them in a well and then carry them and pour them out and try to fill up this thing. The catch is their jars are filled with holes. In some renditions of the story, the jars have no bottoms. And so it's this picture of absolute hopelessness. And I kind of imagine, it's just a story, it's not true, but you can almost imagine like you dip the jar and it's like, okay, this time it's going to be different. This time I'm going to make it and try just a little bit harder. I covered this hole and this hole and the whole way they walk is just emptying out all over the ground. And they get there and they've got nothing to pour into the vessel. Do you ever feel hopeless? Do you ever feel like your life is just trying to hold it together? Plug up the holes that are leaking out all over the place? Futility. I think life does feel that way. We have moments of hope and joy and and we hold on to those and say, this time will be better. This time will be different. And then something comes along. Maybe a doubt that creeps into our head, a difficult situation, maybe the unkind words of a friend or a not so much a friend. And they poke holes in the container and the hope runs out. Maybe you're going through a situation like that in your life right now and you're in that moment of there is no hope. I'm stuck here. And I don't know how to get out of this. And I don't know what's going to change it. And we lose hope when we see a present situation and say, this is all there is. I'm stuck here. And I wonder, is this the majority opinion of people in the world today? Because I think it is. I think our world is stuck in hopelessness. I think the hope has leaked out in so many ways. And I believe the worst effect of hopelessness is that it causes us to quit looking for hope. Why get excited again? Why think it's going to be different? Why not just become comfortable with it? This is just all there is, we think. And so we give up and we just get comfortable living without hope. This morning, Easter morning, I want to challenge that thought. I want to challenge that comfort that creeps into our lives to to start thinking or assuming or accepting there is no hope. I want to challenge that this morning. I want to challenge this general idea in the world. This is all this is. There is nothing else. Let's just let's just make do. And we we either give up hope or we manufacture some fake hope in something else and then wonder why we get let down. 
I want to challenge it by pointing our attention to the only true, sure, certain, and secure source of hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. This thing that goes beyond our situations, that goes beyond our present moments, goes beyond our present struggles, to say, I'm struggling right now, maybe I don't know what else is real or true, but I know the Son of God died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's hope. And so I want to talk about why we need to look for hope. And here I want to review Good Friday a little bit. So if you were here, some of this is going to be repetition, but I think it's important. In Psalm chapter 22, or Psalm 22 rather, the psalmist cries out with a very familiar phrase. We read the account of Jesus on the cross, and Jesus says the very same words that the psalmist begins Psalm 22 with. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As you can imagine, Psalm 22 is not a very happy psalm. And, And that's, I love that about the psalms. They're honest. People going through difficulties and difficult situations. Other times they're going through great joy and they talk about that too. I don't want to give you the impression it's all a bunch of downers. Okay, but Psalm 22 is, God, where are you? God, have you forgotten about me? Do you even care? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes through the psalm and he talks about the difficulty of the situation. Friends turning against him. His body's wasting away. His tongue is stuck to the roof of his mouth from thirst. He is struggling. People are mocking and insulting him. They're saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. He says all his bones are out of joint. Maybe you've been through times like that. Maybe you've been through times of difficulty because of physical suffering. Sometimes you go through physical suffering because you're going through times of difficulty. And the emotional uh, uh, feeling is just so overwhelming. Your body responds to it. But it's interesting because in that psalm, as everything is falling apart, according to what the psalmist writes, he declares this, verse 22, I will declare your name. He's writing to God. I will declare your name, Lord. In the to my people and in the assembly, I will praise you. Do, do you see that hope there? Everything's falling apart. Nothing good has happened now. Nothing has changed in his situation. It's not like suddenly it got better and he's praising God because it got better. It's still awful. And he's still praising God. Because he has hope beyond the situation. He declares in verse 24, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Here he is in the difficulty of the situation. There are some Psalms where he talks about how God delivered him, saved him. That's not, I think, what he's doing here. He is trusting God has heard and he is at work and he will in some way, shape or form provide salvation. He tells about a time in the future, looking forward even beyond his generations, beyond his lifetime. And he says in the final verse of this psalm, they, these people in the future, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. He has done it. And we talked about on Good Friday, so many of the phrases in Psalm 22 are picked up 
and applied to Jesus on the cross. So many of the things that the psalmist talks about, specific things, look forward to Jesus on the cross. I mean, if the psalmist was struggling with a bad day, how much more so Jesus on the cross? Suffering. And yet, I think the New Testament picks up this language and God uses it and applies it to his son, all because what the psalmist was writing about, someday, someday a rescue is coming, God wanted to like set lights off, flashing on the cross saying, this is it, don't miss it. This is the rescue that was promised. God would provide salvation. What about us? Do we understand how much we need hope? Do you understand how much you are looking for hope? And you might say, I'm fine. What are you filling your life with? Because most of the things we try to fill our life with, some of them are great, some not so much. But so many of those things are an effort on our part to make ourselves feel better, to find meaning when we're struggling to see meaning. To find hope when we're struggling to trust in hope. We struggle. We struggle when the world turns against us and things get difficult. We struggle when our bodies don't work the way they should. We struggle when those that we love are suffering. And so often in the midst of that struggle, it's easy to have the hole in the jar. And the hope just starts leaking out. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is hope? Is hope just thinking better about a situation? Maybe we just need to try harder. Maybe tomorrow morning, put a post-it note on the door or on your mirror. Be happy today. It might help. It might. But you can only manufacture happiness, and especially you can only manufacture hope for so long until something comes along and shakes the ground under your feet. And trying to feel better and force yourself to just have a more positive outlook is not going to be good enough. We must have hope based on something unshakable, unmovable, absolutely true, life-changing, history-changing, something beyond the troubles of our situation that enters into the troubles of our situation and provides salvation and change. That's hope. Something that actually rescues us. That's where we find the hope of Easter. And I was thinking about what makes us feel better in difficult situations, right? Have you ever had one of those situations you say in, in your own mind? You don't have to admit this out loud. It's okay. Uh, but you have one of those situations and you say, nobody understands what I'm going through. As a pastor, I, I get to do a lot of counseling with people. I hear that all the time. All the time. Nobody else understands what I'm going through. And you know what I tell that person all the time? That is a lie. That's a lie. Sin, Satan loves to twist those thoughts to say, nobody else knows. You're special. Nobody else knows what you're going through. Has anybody else gone through exactly moment by moment, every single feeling in the same order that you're going through? No. Yes, our grief is unique in that way. But are there people that do understand what you're going through? Yes. It's helpful when we're going through difficulties to know that we're understood. But there is that aspect of nobody can know exactly, perfectly in this moment. 
Hebrews 4.15, though, says this, for we do not have a high priest, he's speaking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, it's impossible to talk about Easter without also talking about Christmas. It's all one story. It's all one truth. It's all one message. It's all one gospel. Jesus, eternally the Son of God, came to where we are in our struggles, in our misery. He entered our situation and lived among us. And he knows perfectly exactly what everyone is going through. Jesus lived in this hopeless world among hopeless people, just like us. He walked with them. He ate with them. He had dinners with them. And I love the pictures of Jesus relating to people because we read how, they, how he treated people and we think, that's how Jesus loves me. He understands So this lie that no one can understand, there, even there, we can look to the cross, we can go back to Christmas, and we can go to the empty tomb. Jesus understands. He gets it. So we are not alone. There's one source of hope, but it gets better. The author of Psalm 22 said that people insulted him, mocked him. We can go through times and we feel like everything's against us. Everything's just out to get us. Nothing's going right. And there's this idea like we're the only ones that are suffering. Matthew chapter 27 says that the soldiers mocked Jesus by putting a crown of thorns on his head. And they pretended to worship him. This is the king of kings, Lord of lords, son of God most high, king and savior of the world. And they're mocking him in his darkest hour. Matthew 27, 39 to 43 records that crowds gathered, people gathered. We just sung about it in the song, Ashamed I Hear My Mocking Voice Call Out Among the Scoffers. And you might sing that line in in How Deep the Father's Love and go, I wasn't there. I didn't mock Jesus. But man, when you catch yourself and say, what would I have done? The Bible says for all of sending on and falling short of the glory of God. Even the disciples betrayed Jesus in that moment. These men that we hold up as these saints and they're so wonderful and they're so great, they ran away. Jesus, in his darkest hour, was mocked, cursed, abandoned. Matthew goes on to talk about the leader saying, you know, if he really is who he says he is, if he really wants to prove it, let him come down off that cross and we will believe in him. Jesus made a choice. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus made a choice to lay down his life. He made a choice to go to the cross. He made a choice to stay on the cross. And don't you ever forget, he made a choice to conquer the cross. Jesus made a choice, but he knows suffering. He goes through physical suffering. Those moments we say, my body's not working right. Things just aren't going great. It's hard to get old. I hear that all the time, and trust me, I'm starting to learn it myself. Just recently, I've only been old for like a couple weeks. And he's just 
you think, why? Where's the hope in this? Jesus suffered physically. Cries out in thirst. For six hours he spent in agony on the cross. Every breath a struggle, pushing up on those nails to open up his lungs so that he could catch a breath to sink back down once again. Over and over again. The way someone died on the cross typically was that they suffocated. Their body could no longer take the pressure of pushing against the nails, pulling against the nails. They lost the ability. Their physical body gave out and they couldn't take a breath and they would suffocate. That's why as the day goes on and the soldiers come by and they need to get the bodies off the cross because this Jewish holy day is coming, it's why they break their legs. Because when the legs are broken, they can't push up anymore. And they would die quicker. But they come to Jesus. And he's already died. And I love the way the gospel writers say it. He gave up his spirit. He did it. No one took his life. But just in case people wondered, was he really dead? The Romans who were experts in torture and death stick a spear in his side all the way to his heart and blood and water flow out. He died after suffering greatly. But we can have this hope that whether it's physical suffering, emotional suffering, maybe person-to-person relational suffering, Jesus went through all of it. He absolutely understands And we can also have this hope that we are not alone. No matter what sin is lying to you, telling you you're the only one in your situation, we are not alone. John chapter 1 has this beautiful expression of Jesus and the incarnation, God taking on flesh to dwell among us. And John writes this in verse 14. He uses the word, the word, for Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is at the right hand of God, the father, perfect in heaven, enjoying that relationship and that perfection forever. And then he's born in a manger and hay and he's crying and somebody has to change his diaper and feed him and he grows up and among sinful people and he endures the falling apart of a sinful world even though he had no sin he struggles and suffers why why did he leave heaven and come here and the answer is you and me he came because of you and me you are never alone God loves you so much. He could have been done. When Adam and Eve sinned, that should have been it. This should have been the shortest book ever. Sin enters the world, the end. But that's not the end. Because God wasn't done yet. He had a plan and he had a purpose. And I love, if we fast forward past the cross, the resurrection, we're going to come back to that in a second. But when Jesus is about to ascend back into heaven, he says this beautiful thing. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, the son of God. You know how many times I've heard people say, God doesn't have time for my problems. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. 
God's too busy to know what's going on in my life. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You are never alone. These things are are helpful in a difficult situation. When you're going through difficulty and you're struggling to have hope, it's good to know that you are known and that God is with you. Those things are helpful, but ultimately they don't actually change the situation. They help us in the situation. But wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice hypothetically if something could come into that situation and actually make a difference? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be a source of even greater hope? Wouldn't it be nice in the moment to know the problem was solved? The answer has been given. The price has been paid. That's the ultimate hope of the resurrection. The author of Psalm 22 looked forward to this time that God would save his people. And in John chapter 19, verse 30, kind of echoing the end of Psalm 22, Jesus cries out his last words on the cross, it is finished. It's finished. There's the gospel in like three words. It is finished. People say, I got to live up to God's standard. No, it's already done. I got to make myself good enough. No, it's already been done for you. Well, I got to clean myself up. No, actually, it's already been done for you. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give us an example of how to be slightly better people, more loving and more service oriented. Sure, it does that too. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and he declared, I've done it. It's finished. The corollary to that then is this gift that he can offer to us, this finished gift accomplished on the cross. Our sins paid for. The cross accomplishes our salvation. But how can we know? Like maybe it's just a story, crazy people, these weirdo Christians made up. Like how do we know? How do we know that some wacko guy dying on a cross, I mean, he could have just been nuts. And, and, and here we are all worshiping him 2,000 years later. We're, aren't we just crazy people? I want to read for you, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Matthew chapter 28. We read chapter 27 in the account of the cross. Let me pick up after Jesus has died on the cross, been buried in the tomb, and the tomb has been made secure. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried from the tomb, hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. 
They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. How do we know? How do we know Jesus isn't just some other crazy religious teacher? How do, what makes the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus different from any other religion? There it is. He rose from the dead. The Bible records Jesus appearing to more than 500 individuals on various occasions. He rose from the dead. He sat and he ate and he drank with his disciples. He rose from the dead. He invited them, come touch my hands where the nails went through. Touch my side where the spear pierced me. He rose from the dead. How do you know? Because the tomb is empty. He has risen. He has risen indeed. There was an atheist named Norwood Russell Hansen, philosopher of science at Yale University. He died in 1967. I imagine he regrets these words now. He said, suppose that on next Tuesday morning, just after breakfast, all of us in this one world are knocked to our knees by a percussive and ear-shattering thunderclap. Snow swirls, leaves drop from trees, the earth heaves and buckles, buildings topple, towers tumble, the sky is ablaze with an eerie silvery light. Just then, as all the people of the earth look up, the heavens open. The clouds pull apart, revealing an unbelievably immense, radiant, Zeus-like figure towering above us like a hundred Everests. He frowns darkly as lightning plays across the features of his Michelangeloid face. He then points down at me and exclaims for every man, woman, and child to hear, I have had quite enough of your too clever logic chopping and word watching in matters of theology. Be assured, I most certainly do exist. This atheist, Hansen, remarks, the conceptual point is that if such a remarkable event were to transpire, I, for one, would certainly be convinced that God does exist. The thunderclap, earth-heaving, sky-blazing event that this man said would cause him to believe that there is a God has happened. It happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He entered our situation, knows what you're going through, knows what the people next to you are going through, knows what the difficult people that are struggling in this world are going through. He entered that situation. We are not unknown. We are not alone. And more than this, he entered the situation and provided a rescue. He saved us. And we can know that it is accomplished because he rose from the dead. He declared it as finished on the cross. And he proved it when he rose from the grave. So what? Is this just something to make us feel a little bit better? Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He didn't just clear the slate and say, now now go and try to do a little bit better. Let's see if you can get it right this time. He didn't just give us a new jug filled with new holes and say, I hope it goes better this time. He set us free. So so now if we believe in the cross and the resurrection, we live in this freedom in a world that looks at us and says, you all are crazy. 
See, obedience is not trying to earn Christ's love. We're already loved by Christ. Obedience is not trying to be saved. We're already saved by Christ if we believe in him. Obedience is saying, I've been set free. I'm going to live for him. He saved me. I'm going to live for him. We don't have to be enslaved to hopelessness. We don't have to get comfortable with it anymore. No matter the situation, no matter how dark, no matter how hopeless it seems, we can always know the Son of God died in my place. And he rose from the grave promising eternal life to all who believe. I don't know what you're going through. Oh, some of you, we talk. But I don't know every in and out of everything everybody in this room is going through. But I do know the ultimate answer that you need and the ultimate hope that you can rely on. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died in your place and rose from the grave, promising eternal life to all who believe. We have been set free. Free from sin, free from guilt, and free from the hopelessness that plagues this world. The hope of Easter is proven by the hope of the resurrection. The answer to the cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the doubts that that entails are answered by the cry of Jesus, it is finished. After the resurrection, before he ascended back into heaven, we looked at a portion of this earlier. But listen to what Jesus declares. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, there's all these struggles in this world, and we got to do this and keep this person happy and live under this. And and Jesus cuts through it all. He says, I have all authority. I'm above it all. So so what he says next carries a lot of authority because he has all authority. He says, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, guys, I love you. I'll be with you forever. There's other people that need to hear this. The gift of hope that is given to us is not just for us alone. The world needs it. They need to hear the truth of the gospel. And if they're going to accept the truth of the gospel, this good news about Jesus dying in our place and raising from the dead, they're going to accept that. They need to see it in us. Because if they look at Christians and we're the ones posting on social media, oh my goodness, the world is all falling apart and someone won the election and blah, 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 and nothing's ever good's going to happen. And they see that in us, they're going to go, well, I don't need that. I can get that anywhere else, and they can. If they look at our lives and they see imperfect people who believe that they're loved by a perfect God because he sent his son to die for them, and who believe they're made new through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and yeah, we struggle and we stumble, and sometimes we're a bunch of hypocrites. It's true, but we're honest about it. We don't pretend to be better than everybody else. If that's what they see, and they see that we live with hope, they're going to come to us and say, I don't get it. Tell tell me what it is that's different about you. Oh, 
oh, sure, some of them will look at you and go, you're crazy. It's true. They always have. They did it to Jesus. They did it to Jesus' followers for generations. They did it all throughout the Old Testament with God's people. It's true. Being a Christian is not easy. But some of them, some of them will come to you and say, I need the hope that you have. Tell me. Tell me about this. And we can tell them about the Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead, promising eternal life to everyone who believe. And and, and so if you're here today on this Easter morning, and and you're one of those with the jar carrying water, it's just leaking out all the time. You're like, I don't know, this is the best I can do. This is all it is, day in, day out, carrying the water, leaky jar. This is my life. Doesn't have to be. There is hope. Easter is the celebration and the reminder that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to save us. The gospel, which just means good news, great news. God's Son died on the cross to take our place, to take our punishment, to pay the price for our sin so that we can stand before God unashamed, not because of us, but because of Jesus. That's the gospel. Rather, it's part of the gospel because the rest of the gospel is, and we know it's true because he rose from the dead. And he is able to offer new life to all who believe. No more hopelessness, difficulty, sure. I'm not saying believe in Jesus and your life gets rosy and keen and everything's great. That's a lie. Oh, someday... Someday Jesus is coming back. All pain and suffering will be erased. All tears will be wiped away. Absolutely. But there's a path to walk from here to there. And it's hard at times. Ask anybody. But there's a hope. There's a hope in being able to say, this is not all there is. And I know that because of the hope of Easter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We need hope. God, we manufacture hope in so many ways to try to make ourselves feel better, look better, or to just try to cover it over so that we are distracted by things that make us feel better or look better. Or we spend so much time judging other people so that people can look at how bad they are and not see us. And all of this is just a leaky vessel, just a jar filled with holes, and we're trying to fill it up, and it's not working. And you looked on us who rebelled against you, those who have lived as if you don't exist, those who have denied you, who have even cursed you, you looked on us. And as the kids sang, for God so loved the world, you look on us with love. But you did something in your love. You provided a way to be saved. And we are here this morning, Easter morning 2022, the day that we celebrate that Jesus Christ, your son, rose from the dead, promising eternal life to all who believe. And we proclaim this morning that that is our true and our lasting hope, come what may. And I pray if there's anyone here today, Father, who doesn't know that hope, 
May this day of Easter that we celebrate your son's resurrection, may this be the day they can celebrate their new life and accept that Jesus died in their place and rose from the grave to offer them new life. What a celebration that would make this, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.